So last week, um, when we were talking about pitfalls and God's promises in them, there's a one-liner in there in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that, that I felt a flow of God, and I said, ooh, we got to come back to this. And that one-liner was that in, in Paul's writing about the pitfalls, he said, about you, about us, the saints, he said, um, you are ones on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. In other words, that God has set you and me apart um, in a special way, and that the fulfillment, kind of all that God's wanting to do in history, has come on us, like the church, now. And I said, ooh, I just felt something in the room as far as that was a sweet spot, a nerve that we wanted to come back and visit. So we will do that today. Now what that means is, because I know uh, it seemed like a little less than half of you were wanting to continue with our whole Fizz series on evangelism. But what we've provided for you in the bulletin is little audio, audio, uh, excuse me, bibliographic information there. And so I encourage you to check out specifically the Schaup's Everts book um, called I Once Was Lost. These are two guys for InterVarsity. That's the book that has those five thresholds, and it's not a long book. Um, that one, as far as, you know, that helps you frame where people are at as they're coming to Christ. And then the other two books, I think we have Chap Bettis, um, Evangelism for the Tongue-Tied, Tongue-tied recommended to us by Sarah Crassus. Yeah, ba bum Um <clears throat> Recommended to us by Sarah Crass's dad. Thank you, Mr. Crass. I mean, Mr. Fulton. Thank you. Get the family lines correct. Uh, so he gave us, actually, we have several copies in the office. So if you're dirt poor and you want a book, I'll get it to you. Um, that's the Evangelism for the Tongue Tide. And then also um, Bill Hybels. All of his stuff is pretty good on evangelism. And so the one that's mentioned there is Just Walk Across the Room about just more of the kind of nitty gritty of even some of the things that Beth and Kathy were just sharing about. So please read those, get yourself immersed, get yourself immersed in them, and um, we'll all be fizzy together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. Um, you mentioned in the Psalms that you've exalted above all other things your name and your word. And so your name, your character, who you are, the fact that you're historically blameless, this is exalted. God is God. The most, you're the most being of most integrity ever in the universe because you are who you are and you're holy and we exalt your name and you've exalted your word so we receive God what you're speaking to us through your written word that you've recorded through history for us through the work of the Holy Spirit at work in us now we just again bow down to the word and say Lord won't you speak to us we echo with Samuel speak to us your servant is listening your servants are listening That's our heart posture today. We will incline our ears to the word of God because it's our life. We need it. And Lord, we join together um, also. We want to keep praying for Lynn Lynch, um, this woman, um, the mother of Carmen Lisa, who's got stage three lung cancer. And with the sad news that that cancer spread to the fluid sac in the lung, we are crying out for a move of God. Lord, together as the church, we cry out and say, Lord Jesus, please shrink that tumor in Jesus' name. Please get her rid of that cancer, we pray. Just as little children, we don't always know how to pray, but we know the one to whom to pray, and it's you. And so we cry out for mercy on land. We pray for the peace of God to rule and reign, body, soul, and spirit. Let her have a revelation of all that she has in Jesus Christ as she goes through this crisis as well. May the God of all comfort give her comfort, we pray, and we're all in agreement. In Jesus' name, let's have a loud amen for the church, from the church. Amen. We want to believe for that. not knowing who you are or whose you are can cause you to do crazy things. Okay? Not knowing who you are 
or not knowing whose you are can cause you to do crazy things. In a former life, I was a French teacher. And to my morbid delight, I guess, around the fall of 2005 while I was teaching, riots started to break out around Paris and the suburbs of Paris. What a teachable moment for me as a French teacher. We could move beyond verb conjugations for a little bit and get into culture in a wonderful way. Why were riots happening? Why, on the 27th of October, 2005, in the eastern suburbs of Paris, did things start to erupt? Now, we need to keep in mind that when we talk about the suburbs of Paris, it's different than it is often in North America in that here we think of city, urban decay, suburbs, wealth. Well, in many European cities, Paris for sure, the wealth is in the city. It's the suburbs that are less socioeconomically. And again, that's certainly the case. Even the word for suburb in French indicates, it just has this connotation of um, poor, um, these kind of um, government housing units is kind of what, what we see. Now, what happened that day, and this is it's still contested between the different sides, but police have a lot of power in France, way more power than we'd be used to. They're allowed to just stop you without a reason, whereas here, there must be a reason for a police officer to stop you, usually. But the police were doing probably what was routine work in the suburbs, in their wars against crime and drugs and violence, and um, they showed up, and some youth started to flee. And these youth were of North African descent. And these youth, in their fleeing, ran into an um, electric substation and electrocuted themselves. Now, the contention is, were the policemen actively fleeing these two right into that place? Or, uh, you know, were the police doing more routine stuff and they just chose to flee on their own? That, there's been no clear word on that. But the result was a riot. And um, a lot of the North Africans, the, the French of North African descent, were so angry um, at the police why this would happen. It just kind of was an example for them of what was going wrong. And at first, when it started to unfold, it was, oh, obviously the key factor here is economic. You know, the, the North African youth, with a lot of youth in France, there's a terrible unemployment rate, and they're just not getting jobs, and they're restless. And, and, and even that environment that they're in the suburbs is not good. And this thing, I mean, in 20 days, I got some figures here, in 20 days, by 16th November 2005, 275 towns had been affected by this. 9,000 cars had been burned, causing about 200 million euro in damage. Two other people had died. 125 police and firemen had been injured. And there had been 3,000 arrests. It was not just a small event. Was it purely an economic thing? Or was there an iceberg that had been touched here? And the reports that started to come out more as the country began to reflect on these riots was this story. You have... People from Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia, once French colonies, have mo- having moved to France, who then have their children. So we have these North African descent kids who in France, they're at school, and they're not like their French counterparts, right? They're not European. They're North African. But then what they do in the summer is they go home to their family, and they go to their cousins in Algeria, Tunisia, and Morocco. And they're not like them either. They're caught in this interesting place of identity crisis. 
they find themselves in an identity vacuum. Perhaps this was more behind these riots than any other factor. What about you? Are you affected? Is there an identity vacuum story in your own life? Maybe not as pronounced as that. But for example, do you ever feel excluded either by God or by the church or maybe your colleagues at work? Do you feel like you don't belong to a certain subset that you'd like to belong to? Do you feel like your gifts are minimized or undervalued or muted here in the church? Do you feel like you're not fully able to be who you are? Do you feel aimless or frustrated regarding your calling? Do you wonder, gosh, what should I be doing? What have I been put on the earth to do? Or I'm not sure yet. Are you insecure, feeling not good enough for that calling? You're unsure of it. Those kind of things, these four questions and others similar to it point to this identity vacuum that you may find yourself in. And typically how we react is we either blame ourselves, we go down the self-hatred spiral, you know, on the extreme end, we self-mutilate, or we blame others when we're in this identity vacuum. And, uh, and that can take fl- different flavors either, right? We can be very harsh and aggressive and lash out, or we can just distance ourselves from others, right? We just pull away because we're, we're mad. But I think the key there is it's that we don't really know who we are or whose we are. That's what we're going to take a look at today. The good news, just as sure as like, you can go on to uh, Ancestry.com or um, FamilySearch.org and find out a little bit more about your identity, that's what we're going to be doing with the scriptures today. We're going to say, okay, God, show me who am I and whose am I? Amen? All right, Ephesians 2. Open it up. Let's get there. Ephesians 2. Who am I and whose am I? Ephesians 2. Who am I and whose am I? And the overarching question that I'm going to ask you and that I'm going to invite you to come back to at the end of this message is, as we go through some aspects of who we are and whose we are, which one is hitting you the most right now? Which one is most pertinent to your situation right now? You just keep that in mind as we start to examine who we are and whose we are. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Wow, Paul's not mincing words here. He's got a few words about the devil. It's a pretty good description. And then on to verse 3. All of us also, all of us, you and me, right here in this room, all of us also, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Okay, Paul's going to be very black and white here. And he just done black, all right? And to be sure, it is our sin or it's the sin of others that prevents us from walking in the fullness of who we are and whose we are, Okay? If the only thing that is informing our identity is our history, our story, because surely we have some wounds, if the only thing informing us is our culture, which is crazy with the standards of like what you should be physically or financially 
or personality-wise or whatever, or if the only thing that's informing us is our feelings, then surely will we, we will be, excuse me, uh, dead in our transgressions. You know, that'll be our general feeling, dead in our sin, dead in our transgressions. Psychologically speaking, this is what happens. Um, I love how the doctors Cloud and Townsend, they've written a lot of great books, but this one from an older one, Changes That Heal, they say, hey, for you and I to grow up to be mature, we need to hit certain developmental tasks. And it's sin, either your sin, my sin, or the sin of others that keeps us from going through those developmental tasks. And very simply put, they're this. We need to learn how to bond, right? We need to learn to bond with others. Sin and our family can wreck that, mess that up, twist it. Two, we need to learn how to separate from others. In a normal, healthy family, a child is encouraged to then separate, become his or her own person. And again, in all our brokenness, that usually gets messed up a little bit. Third, we need to figure out for ourselves just what we believe about good and bad. It's kind of what they say is a very general thing. And fourth, they say that we need to take charge in our world as an adult. Like an adult, we start to make our own decisions. And if we, it's sin that prevents us from doing those tasks. And, it's, and thus, it's sin that prevents us from fully becoming who we are or whose we are meant to be. Okay? So that's the bad news. That's the black part. Let's get to the white. Let's get to the good news. Let's keep going. How does Paul resolve this? That is what we were. Totally um, given to our sinful nature, following desires and thoughts, objects of wrath. And here's where it gets good. But... Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, everyone say God. Yes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Who's the initiator here? God. Okay, God has initiated. By grace you're saved. By grace is giving you a new identity. By grace you're not in, you're not bound to your transgressions anymore, but you are a new creation. Now, what this tells me here is that it's not just an issue of positive thinking for me. You know, in my daily deal, in your daily struggles, in my daily kind of the things that I confront, it's not just an issue of, hey, I need to think better thoughts about myself, although it's helpful that, as that may be. There's some power there. I can do this. You know, I'm going to make it through. I can change. This will work. You know, things like that. Those have some power, but there's real power when we look at what we're about to look at. We're going to unpack this, whose you are and who you are. There's power behind it because God's behind it, okay? Jesus said it this way. He was in a a little tiff with the Pharisees, and he said, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, so it's not just you having to do a mental exercise to believe good things about yourself. The power of Jesus is behind it. And he said, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Okay, so God is setting you free, and he's, he's doing it. It's not to say there may be a thorn in your side, and we'll get to that in a little bit here. But God wants to set you free. It's like this. Kelsey and I were at our favorite place yesterday, Market Basket. Always a good trip with the family. 
And um, it really is. We're like, this is so cheap. Praise God. Um, and I'm counting up. She puts things in the basket. I'm getting the total. You know, five, six, fifty, eight, nine, thirteen. Okay, we hit our fifty to sixty dollar limit. Um, and um, anyway, so have you ever had non-original or like non? Um, have you ever had this store brand Oreos? They're like the worst. Okay, <laughs> you think you're getting a good deal by getting market basket Oreos, but man, it is just worth the four or five dollars to get your double stuff. Okay, because there is a difference, right? Now, I'm not talking about things like Numinos. You know, they're kind of like organic. I think those are decent. But if you're talking Hydrox, if you're talking just the Market Brackets, the Market Basket, Stop and Shop brand, Shaw's, they're bad, right? So I'm just trying to illustrate here, you trying to think good thoughts, bad, okay? It's going to be like a bad Oreo. You're going to be very disappointed. But if you will, go for the double stuff and believe that the power of God is behind this. You can get transformed. Wow. Amen. All right, you guys are easy today. This is good. Praise God. Woo! Okay. More food illustrations. There you go. Okay. They like those. All right. So to unpack this, who are you and whose are you, I want to go back to verse 6, and let's just get a handle of how big this is, how double stuffy it is, all right? Verse 6, again, in chapter 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is Paul. He didn't see this event, but his contemporaries are the ones who are with Jesus. We have this picture in Acts 1. When Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit, peace out. And there goes Jesus. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven into the clouds. And surely... Paul, having heard this story from his friends, is thinking this when he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Come on, this is good stuff. Can you imagine today, you walk out of church, President Barack Obama gets on the phone, calls you and says, hey, will you come and help me lead a little bit? I want you to be at the cabinet meeting tomorrow at the White House. Sit at the table with me and help me make decisions for these different departments. And there's a few perks. You can fly in Air Force One with me. Every time you walk into a room, they're going to play a song for you, okay? And there's a pool and there's a bowling alley in the bottom of our house. Praise God. You know what I'm saying? If it happened, it'd be cool. Or in my little world, the little thing I'm kind of hoping for is um, Kelsey and I stopped by a bar called Lolita's. We just stopped by. We didn't hang out. It was only 5 o'clock. But there's a bar called Lolita's near um, Newbury Street. We know the bartender. The bartender knows the girlfriend of Milan Lucic. Milan Lucic is number 17 on the Bruins, one of my favorite people on the earth. And we stopped by, we said, hi, bartender. And he said, oh, guess what? Um, you know, Milan's girlfriend, Britt, just texted, she's going to be here tonight. And then I said, all right, listen, bartender. You tell them that they have someone that wants to see them get married, and I want to perform that ceremony, okay? <laughs> so we're waiting to see. Obviously, he has plenty of time on his hands now, the way the Bruins folded this week. So hopefully they can move this relationship along, get married, and I want to do it. But it's a little fantasy, but I'm really excited about it, you know? (laughs) Now, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is inviting you into a reality of walking up into something that's exciting for him, ruling with him. Okay, this is not a small thing. This is the real deal. And so right now, the jealousy that's in my heart is I am so wanting to equip you to get a hold of this daily because 
As the proverb says, as a man thinks, so he is, okay? All right, so what does it look like for you to be seated in Christ with the heavenlies? Well, Paul has actually just unpacked it for us in the chapter before. Let's look at Ephesians 1, and we're going to go kind of line by line here. And again, the question you're asking yourself is, which one of these is most pertinent to me? In which area am I most deficient? And do I need a touch from God in? Okay, here we go. Let's start at verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everyone say, every spiritual blessing. Okay, this is not a language of lack here. The language here is that you've got all that you need. Now, we get confused because we think if I don't have what I want materially, or if it's not comfortable for me, then God must not like me. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying he's given you everything you need for every spiritual blessing. Let's use the analogy of a soldier. You've got your Kevlar, your helmet. You've got your vest. You've got your fatigues. You've got your backpack. He's given you the knife, and he's given you the gun. He's given you the ammo. He's given the grenades. You do not lack. You've got the uh, night vision goggles. Everything you need to make it, God has given you. So let's stop whining and saying, oh, Lord, this is too hard. I can't do this when God's given you everything. Amen? That's okay to say I'm having a hard time. It's okay to get with a brother and sister. In fact, you should. It's healthy to say, I need help. But what's not healthy is for you to say, I'm disqualified automatically. There's a language of abundance here. You have what you need. Let's go on. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Well, that should be encouraging. My goodness, the writer of Hebrews, he asks a rhetorical question when he asks, who among you has shed blood in your struggle against sin? None of us have shed blood. Jesus shed blood in his struggle against sin. But doesn't this encourage you in your own struggle? You know, in my own, you know, those four tasks that I mentioned, you know, psychologically speaking, and I just... I'm aware of deficiencies in my ability to bond. Aware of deficiencies of healthily separating from people. Aware of deficiencies of sorting out good and bad. Aware of deficiencies in taking charge in certain situations. I'm aware of them. But you know what the cool thing is? God has chosen me to be holy and blameless. The momentum behind us is God is for you. In your own struggle against sin, in your own struggle seeing the, the bad things that were done to you undone and their effects undone, God's behind you. He's chosen you to be holy and blameless. Isn't that helpful? It's not just you trying to figure it out or you and your, you know, whoever helps you. It's God's behind you and he's chosen holiness and blamelessness for you before the beginning of the world. Okay, end of verse four, end of verse five. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Okay, listen to the language there. Love in accordance with good pleasure and goodwill. God wants you in the family. Okay, listen, I'm stuck with JD. I'm stuck with Hannah. They happen to be two great children, but the fact is, Kelsey and I didn't choose them. They were brought to us. You know what I'm saying? What I'm trying to make the point is, God adopted you, all right? He chose you. He wasn't like, oh no, you know, Neil was created crap, you know? He's like, I choose you, Neil, with all your stuff. I choose you. I choose you, Jeremy. You know, I choose you, Dustin. I choose you, Elizabeth. I choose you, Kate. I choose you. You're adopted in the family. And, you know, I was thinking about our family, and I just thought how, you know, I, um, it's a very healing experience for Kelsey and I having a family because, like everyone else on the planet, 
We have interesting things with our families of origin, certain levels of brokenness. But us being a part of this wonderful redemptive thing that God's doing on the earth by having our family come about and um, creating an atmosphere where hopefully things like bonding and healthy separation will go on, all that good stuff. Um, it's, it's um, you know, I think what I uh, am experiencing is, hey, it's cool that we can just be chill and be together. Like I, what's really fun for me is just those, like we just have pancake and eggs on a, on a Saturday morning and it's very chill. We just play trains, you know, soon there'll be, you know, baseball or baseball, JD gets basketball, excuse me, as he gets older. But we just chill, we have these moments, moments that were incredibly void for my own growing up. In other words, in my own growing up, we didn't have happy moments of just being together. So this is unfolding and I just get a little revelation on this thing that God adopts us because he wants us around, not just some of the time, but he wants us around all the time. In the happy moments, in the not so happy moments. In the really fun moments, in the crazy moments, right? There's times like in the car yesterday, we just had a crazy moment because kids crying and just chaos, you know? But in my mind, it's, or in my heart, I'm actually like, this is actually kind of fun, even though it's chaotic, because we're together, you know? That's what I'm saying. Are you getting the picture? God chooses you, happy, sad, together, falling apart. Oh, he loves you. He's adopted you. He wants you, okay? In your groups of friends, you may get rejected. Or, you know, at work, you may not feel like you can fully be yourself, but God wants you as who you are. He's adopted you. Amen. Okay, let's move to verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. Come on, this is the world's major problem. I mean, I'm convinced that all of the weirdness that goes on the earth committed by unbelievers is because they haven't experienced forgiveness or redemption. This is the gospel, all right? And I am sure that you and I, we mess things up. But you know what God does? He redeems it. He buys it back. He doesn't just cancel your sin, but he purchases it back and somehow makes it good. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins. It is like the key thing that our souls actually need. Are you with me? It's the one thing that souls need. They need forgiveness. They need redemption. And we get it in Jesus. And again, look at the language here. Is it like, is God like annoyed to give it to us? Is he bothered by the, your need for forgiveness? I don't think so. It says here, it says, that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And I'm so glad. <laughs> Sorry. Sot's getting happy in Jesus because it's such an awesome truth, okay? So thank you, Sot. Please be happy in Jesus, okay? Because there's a truth here that's so powerful. Okay, praise God. <clears throat> Amen. What else? What else? Is this just getting good? This is who you are. It's whose you are. If you don't believe it, we have problems. Eat the double stuff Oreo. It's true. There's power behind it, okay? Here we go. Let's do verse 9. And he, yeah, verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put effect when the times, to be put in effect, excuse me, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, Okay? He has made known to us, starting in verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Look, you're a confident confidant of the Most High God. Barack Obama, great. Milan Lucic, awesome. 
but you're a confidant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a confidant of him. He has shown to you mystery of his will. And he likes sharing things with you. Okay, this isn't just a theological truth. This is like Jeremiah 33.3. God gave a great challenge to Jeremiah. And he says this, Jeremiah, you will call on me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's the heart of God. As you call on him, he wants to tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. He wants to share with you. The Psalms say that he wants to share his counsel with you because he loves you. Don't we love being let in? You know, when someone shares something with us, we go, oh, thank you. That's basically an invitation to relationship. I'll never forget the day that I had a student, again, in my former life, um, after school, and he had been being late to his first period class, and so you know, basically, he'd end up with me after school, uh, erasing the board, um, you know, doing trash stuff, or just doing odds and ends to, to make up for his time. And then it hit me one day, you know, I'm just correcting. He's doing the board, and uh, not even looking at me, he's just doing his thing, erasing the board, and he s- starts to unveil. I'm depressed. I'm on meds. It's why I'm late all the time. Uh, my house is a mess, you know. And I, you know, I'm sitting here doing my correcting, just okay, something really important is happening now. You know, the student is, he's letting me in. And man, you know, when we get a clue, wow, someone's letting me in, we get excited. And we're just, you know, typically we're honored, you know, thank you for letting me in to a place of excitement or pain, you know. And Kelsey's so good at correcting me at times when I don't catch it. You know, sometimes people are at the house and people are sharing, you know, they're doing the, um, you know, the visual that I, already, that I always have is like, you know when a dog lays on its back? Let's you scratch it. You know, super vulnerable. Doggy lets you, you know. So sometimes I'm clueless, though. Someone will be essentially doing that verbally. Verbally, they're putting themselves on their back, letting me scratch their belly. Like, they're just, they're, they are, they're unveiling. And um, they'll do that, and Kelsey will sometimes clue me in. I'm like, hey, they're sharing with you, you know. Pay attention. This is important. This is exciting um, to them. So act excited. So um, praise God. So anyways, you get the point. Okay? God is shared with you. He, he likes sharing with you the mystery of his will. You're a chosen confidant of the living God. It's not a small matter. And this is not just theological truth. It is wonderful experience. Okay, a few more. Three more, I think. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. I want to pull out a couple things here. And I really believe there's a word for some of you. When I was preparing, I thought, ooh, this one's going to hit a couple. Some of you are in transition, as Beth mentioned. It may be relational or it may be vocational. You know, you're in a place where you need some decision-making regarding a relationship or regarding a, a, a future destination. And this is comforting to me. Let it be comforting to you. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Take comfort in the fact that, yes, you've got some decisions to make, but God's there, and he's working it out for, your, for, his, for the conformity of his will. Do you know what I'm saying? That just reduces my anxiety level, knowing that when I'm forced, when I'm forced into a corner to make a decision about this, that, or the other, God's going to be there. Yes, you need to seek the Lord. Yes, you want to try to hear his voice. Yes, you want to get counsel, but when you have to make a decision about it, ultimately, this is comforting, that he is working it out according to his plan. There's a sovereignty of God thing going on there. And if that wasn't enough, as he says, he says that we might be for the praise of his glory. 
The comfort that I take there is that my identity is more important than my tasks. Do you know what I'm saying? In other words, my being, by being redeemed, by being secure in who I am and whose I am, that brings glory to God. And so I can rest secure, period. I can just rest secure because my being, you know, I'm, I'm redeemed, I'm living unto God. There's things about my being that is giving God glory more than my doing in a certain sense, okay? Because that brings the anxiety level down, okay? I'm not sure, should I do, do this or this? Should I marry that person or that person? Should we date or not date? Should we do this or that? <sighs> anxiety level goes down because God's working it out and my being is bringing glory to God more than my parsing and doing. Got it? Okay, amen. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Listen, I don't know how excluded you feel. In different social situations, in the church, at work, with your friends, with your neighbors, you may feel excluded at different moments, but the truth is you're included by Christ, okay? And all of us come to those moments where we may feel excluded, and our only refuge is the fact that, well, you know, these people might be doing their thing, but I am included in Christ. Again, this is not just a theological truth. This is the real deal. We've got to get it in us because that's what makes us secure, makes us able to pass through those developmental stages that we mentioned from um, that book, Changes That Heal, Townsend and Cloud. Okay, finally this one. <clears throat> uh, so I'm halfway through 13, and I um, pick it up here. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, to the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. You're marked with a seal. And what comes to mind with this one is, I know some of us feel like our defining wounds are just defining wounds that we're living with the rest of our lives. Some of us have been in the occult. You know, some of us have given ourselves to practices that we regret. You know, the very things that that Paul kind of illustrates there at the beginning of chapter 2. And some of us in our fight against sin feel like we're just marked, you know, gosh, am I going to be like this forever? Or this thing's too serious or too weighty or how can anything good come from this X, Y, and Z in my past? And God's word for you today is that you're not merely a product of your sin. Yes, your soul is marked perhaps by an event or a series of events or whatnot, but you're marked by the Holy Spirit. And that's where the power is. Okay, you're marked by the Holy Spirit. You belong to God, and that will overwhelm. Eventually, that will overwhelm all the other. Now, as I say, Paul makes it really clear in another, and this is book after the, or sorry, in 2 Corinthians, he says, um, you know, I've been given a thorn. Of course, everyone's debated for centuries what that thorn was. But he had a situation that God did not relieve him of. But his word in that was, hey, but God's grace is sufficient for me, for in my weakness, his power is made perfect. So you're marked by the Spirit of God. If your soul is indeed marked by some events or trauma that seem just too big for you, you can guarantee that the grace of God is enough for you. Amen? We got to get it in us. Okay, so the thing is, we got to get it in us. And the crowning achievement of this whole thing is, let's go back to chapter 2 and get verse 10 in our hearts. Okay? Ephesians 2, chapter 10. This is kind of the great summary of what it is to be seated with Christ in the heavenly so we can say with joy, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm not going to let it go. We've got to get it in us. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Who's going to say it with me now? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your workmanship. Do you believe it? Because whether you do or don't really sets the trajectory for your life. You're a masterpiece. Do you believe it? Michelangelo, late 1400s, early 1500s, he said of, perhaps you can call to mind the statue of David. I don't know if he's doing this. can't remember exactly how it is. He's got his little hand up. He's got the stones he's about to throw, but he's got massive arms. <clears throat> he said of David, he said, um, he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved and carved until I set him free. That was his comment on sculpting the statue of David. Now, if that's a man, albeit a godly man, regarding a piece of lifeless stone that he did, what do you think the God of the universe thinks about that little group of cells that started out in your mom's belly and then turned into you? Do you think he loves you and is wanting to set you free by releasing you to be all that God's made you to be? Do you think he's longing for that? Do you think he loves you? Do you think he grieves when you feel any of these negative things that would, you know, when you feel not included, not adopted, not forgiven? Do you think he grieves when you're not walking all that he has given for you because of Christ's death on the cross? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've got to get it in us. And that's my holy jealousy for us today is to get in us. How can you get it in you? My friend gave me an identity in Christ mug. Here's one way you can get it in you. About once every 10 days, if I have coffee or tea, I'm reminded, who am I? And some of these Ephesians passages are made known. Great. Sorry, we don't have any more of these. I'll, I'll fight you for it after. If you don't feel like taking a mug around everywhere you go, we have paper. Okay? And there's some paper here that has some, some of the truth, including this truth from Ephesians. This is who I am. This is whose I am. We'll put these on the back table on the way out. If you already have our morning training packet, that, that quiet time packet, it's already in there. Or I love this one. What one of you did because you're so excited about this, you can just tattoo it on your bicep. Why not? Let's see. There it is. Isn't that awesome? Hmm, there's mixed reactions here. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. <laughs> we are his masterpiece. We're his workmanship. And that way you know it. All you need to do is look at your right bicep and you're good to go. Amen. All right? We've got to get it in us. However, I would suggest that meditating on it, what we just did together for about a minute, is a good thing to do. You can meditate on it. Get it in you. Memorize it. Get it in you. For I am God's workmanship, right? Create in Christ Jesus, do good works, which God's prepared in advance for me to do. We've got to get it in us. Because if we get it in us, guess what happens? We can do the works of God. Shazam. Yes, there it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Once you get it in us, 
You can do all that God's called you to do. Thank you, Dustin, for your bicep for Montserrat. Okay, there we go. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. And, you know, those eight or ten things that we looked at, we're going to ask God, which one's more important for me? How do I get it in me? And uh, which one's the most important? It's key. It's critical. It's life or death. All right? Matt, come on up with the worship team. You guys stand up. As he's coming up, I'm just going to say it over us again. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Everyone say, I'm a workmanship. Everyone say, I'm a masterpiece. Okay, and as you saw it up there before, because, we'll just say this, because I'm a masterpiece, I'm at peace. Everyone say that. Because I'm a masterpiece, I'm at peace. And you're at peace, and you can do all that God's called you to do and be. You can flex, boom, be all that God's called you to be. So, let's close your eyes, bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Holy Spirit, please quicken to us. Um, there are uh, major areas where... Um, when we look at our emotional responses in the day-to-day, in our family, in our coworkers, we look at some of the choices we're making and things like that. There's major areas where we're not walking in this truth of us being a masterpiece, a workmanship of God, um, created in Christ Jesus through good works, which you've prepared in advance for us to do. So I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, which one of these things is the most pertinent to us in our day-to-day? Do we feel excluded? Do we feel defeated in our own working through our sin issues? Do we feel lonely, detached from God and unconnected to others? Do we feel not worthy to be participating in the great plans of God? Do we feel too overwhelmed by how we've been marked by our sin or the sin done to us? Thank you for every one of these things. There's a corresponding truth that we need to get in us by your grace.